one and a half. One and three quarters. Definitely, definitely one and a half. Platform nine and three quarters. You think you're funny? No. That was my uh, British impression. Your impression of all people British. I just did it. I think that's your your impression for any dialect. Uh, Russian. Now do a German guy. Do a Russian guy? You think you're funny? (laughs) (laughs) You think you're funny? Vodka. I didn't didn't say because I had it from Q. You think you're funny? Vodka. Vodka. Hispanic, do Mexican, do Mexican. You think you're funny? Taco. Hello. Jamaican. (laughs) You think you're funny? You see a boat. I could do this the whole (laughs) day. Hawaiian. Hawaiian? Um, You think you're funny? Well, they're not the rainbow warriors anymore. Oh, that's where we end it. That's, that's where we end it. Right. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And you derailed. I didn't know if you got to get the useful bolt thing. <laughs> oh, that's what you said. Yeah. I heard yeah, bolt, I, so I figured I was like, oh, is he mean Usain Bolt? Okay. Yeah, I thought you were going to uh, say, like, joint okay, or something. Okay, okay. Like. Let, me, let me do the Jamaican one again. All right, all right. Cut it, and then we'll redo it again. <laughs> okay, do Jamaican. Okay. You think you're funny? Marijuana. It's like you're accusing marijuana. <laughs> you have a beef with marijuana. Uh. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? You are one pathetic loser. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the podcast where we discuss the best and worst movies from the 90s. This is Real 90. If you're going to spew... Spew into this. The first rule of Fight Club is you do not talk about Fight Club. What's your favorite scary movie? You can't handle the truth! Hello and welcome to episode 19 of Real 90. This week we discuss the dark comedy Swimming with Sharks. But before we get started, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Nick Prince. I'm Ricky Glore. And I'm Eric Hunter. And I'm Eric Hunter! You think you're funny? I'm Eric Hunter! Anyway. He's just doing it. It's his own show now. <laughs> Hello and welcome, welcome to the Eric Hunter Hour. I'm taking over, motherfuckers. Eric Hunter teaches you dialects. Swimming with sharks. Okay, this week it was my pick. Uh, Swimming with sharks came out in uh, 1994, written and directed by George Huang. Huang. Uh, Huang. Uh, starring Kevin Spacey, Frank Whaley, and Michelle Forbes. Um, so basically, the the storyline is a young Hollywood executive becomes the assistant to a big-time movie producer who is the worst boss imaginable. Abusive, abrasive, and cruel. But soon things turn around when the young executive kidnaps his boss and visits all the cruelties back on him. So. Swimming so, uh, with sharks. Swimming with sharks. Yeah. So this whole film is shot in, like, flashback form, pretty much. It, it goes back and forth from present to flashback. Uh, so the film opens with Guy, played by Frank Whaley, breaking into Buddy Ackerman's house. And Buddy Ackerman's played by Kevin Spacey, who's awesome in this film. And he ends up holding him hostage with Buddy's own gun. And uh, Buddy asks or, yeah, Buddy asks Guy what, it, 
exactly what he wants, why he's holding him hostage. And he says, I want you to uh, reflect back on all the times that you insulted me and everything that you've taken away from me. And then that starts the flashback sequence as the title card comes up. We we start getting all of the times he insulted him. Yes. Day one comes up, and it's Guy's first day as Buddy's assistant at Keystone uh, Studios or Keystone Productions. Um, so what was your guys' like first impression of Buddy when you... Eric, this was your first time seeing the film, right? Yes, it was. Um, I mean, did you know anything? Like, did you read the synopsis or anything before watching it, or did you just get... Uh, no, I just, I just started watching it. I didn't even... So what was some of your first impressions of Buddy Ackerman when you first see him? Uh, I mean, he's a fucking prick. I mean, that's you learn <laughs> he's that. He's a fucking prick. You learn that within the first thirty seconds of meeting him, and halfway through, I thought it was kind of ironic that his character's name, his first name, is Buddy, because that is right. the last thing that he is to anybody in this movie is a buddy. Um, I mean, the first shot when you see him walk in, it's like a low angle. You're shooting up at him, so the first time you see him, he's a he, he's above everybody. He's like a god. Um, so I thought that was a, a cool way of introducing him right off the bat. Without him even saying anything, you you know that this is a, the main guy. He's above everyone in this place. Yeah. Well, you pointed out the irony of his name being Buddy, and I think it's just as ironic that Frank Whaley is Guy, because that's all he is to Buddy, is just some guy. Yeah, he, he doesn't yeah, even have a name. Yeah, so, I mean, it was... Um... Man, I don't know. Like I was, I was constantly torn back and forth about how I was supposed to be feeling. Um, right. And I know I've told you guys this before. Usually with movies, you try to find a character that you connect with, you mm-hmm. know, because that kind of God, you don't, you don't like anybody in this fucking movie. No, because Buddy's an asshole. Guy's a pussy, and <laughs> hey, hey, Jim, there are three types of people in this world. <laughs> but I'm serious. He's an asshole. Like I don't care. Like okay, so he goes to college. Um, well, film the, school. Yeah, so he goes to the film school because he wants to be this writer and this producer, and he wants to be in you know Hollywood. He wants to be in movies, and um, he you know always the rule of thumb is if he wanted to own an industry, you have to work in the industry. Um, so you know he becomes basically this lackey uh, for the executive producer. I think he is, isn't he? Of Keystone, but he is. He's a uh, his title. It's senior executive vice president of productions at Keystone. Okay. Who is trying to get vice president? Like yeah, he's trying, trying to, to be... be in charge of it. Yeah, exactly. so I mean, uh, you know, he's going about it right, but it's like this guy is a complete and utter asshole. Like, I don't care. There's got to be a, you know, I, this was taking place what during like the eighties, I think it was, or no, it's nineties. Well, I, I mean, it feels nineties. It's yeah. got the car phones and and yeah. Well, okay. guy is is substituting talent for thinking that, you know, he'll pay his dues a little bit, he'll rise up the rank, and then he'll get to do whatever the fuck he wants. Right. Because if he was actually a talented writer, you know, he could sell his scripts or get an agent or someone. But so that's another characteristic where I'm like, yeah, I really don't like this guy. guy. Yeah, because, I mean, at the very least, he could go and work for a different movie studio. You know what I mean? Right. Right, but I think he was kind of, people told him, like, if you want to make it big in this in this world, in the Hollywood business, you have to be an assistant to a big top exec. And Buddy Ackerman is the one of the biggest execs in the business. 
And and he was kind of given false pretenses when he was leaving. He's replacing Rex, who is played by Benicio del Toro, um, and he's on his way to become the VP of productions at Paramount. So I think when Buddy, when a guy comes in and, and hears that, he's like, "Oh, I made the right choice because this guy, this as as Buddy says, I got Dog Boy a job. I can get you a job anywhere." Um, I think he's he's kind of given under false pretenses that he can rise now that he's at the right place being Buddy Ackerman's assistant. Well, and like I said, to support the substitution of talent that guy has as a scriptwriter or being creative, um, Kevin Spacey points it out later in the movie. He says, your generation that's kind of like Generation Xers want it now. They don't want to put in the time. I put in 10 years. You're putting in hardly even a year. And I think that's what makes it hard about finding who you want to like because when Kevin Spacey says that, you, you side with him. Right. You're like, yeah, guy's a pussy. He just wants to get instant gratification. He thinks if he puts up with a little bit of shit, he should be given the chance to do whatever he wants. Right. So I think ultimately, in the end of this, I mean, I sided with Buddy on this. When you're, I, I don't think it was um, George Wang's intention for you to side with Guy. Maybe it was, but I'm kind of with you, where you kind of you feel bad for Buddy at the end of this. I think this is supposed to be we're seeing how Buddy became Buddy. Maybe I'm yes. wrong. Yeah. 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 And we'll get to it. I mean, the last scene, you kind of see that where he gives kind of a, a uh, an approval, like, nod to Guy when he's telling a fellow coworker that if there's anything in this world that you want, you have to go out and take it. But I said, think, can, I don't know if this was it for you, Hunter, but as you mentioned, the likable characters, you got a dick, a pussy... And instead of an asshole, you have a bitch, uh, Dawn, that yeah. is not likable. And I, I've watched this movie a lot, and I used to consider it one of my favorites. But in this viewing, I started going, hmm, is this movie as good without Kevin Spacey? Because I don't think the acting is that great on the other supporting roles. No, I mean, this is definitely a Kevin Spacey film. Right. That, um, so, yeah, I think if he's not in it or if you get somebody else, which, funny enough, there is a stage play of this that opened in London, and it was Christian Slater who plays Buddy Ackerman. Oof. Opposite um, who plays, uh, who played Doctor Who, Matt Simpson? Matt, Matt Smith. I mean, there's a lot of Matt Doctor Smith. Who. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, I know they change it, like, every few years, but one of the, Matt Smith. So I think if it was, like, Christian Slater in this, it wouldn't work at all, like, the, so the reason I've seen, this movie I've seen works Christian is later on stage. Um, he was in the Glass Menagerie with Sarah Paulson um, in New York, and I can say that he surprised me at how good he was on as a stage actor. But I cannot see him playing or filling right. Kevin Spacey's shoes. I think I would be very apprehensive. Well, I think what makes Kevin Spacey so good is that the way he delivers the lines, and he can just have that deadpan face. So if you swapped roles and put Kevin Spacey on stage, he'll probably still be very good, but it will definitely will come across because you mean, you're seven, eight rows back. You're not going to see that close-up of his face. So just him delivering the lines. And the, really the lines are very repetitive. Yeah. I mean, they're just insult after insult. It's finding yeah, different ways to insult the same guy. And I think that just shows how good of an actor Kevin Spacey is. And this is before... I believe, before Academy Award-winning Kevin Spacey. Yeah, because after this, he went on to do Seven and 
usual suspects or unusual suspects. What is it? Unusual or usual? Usual suspects. Usual. usual suspects. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. There was a couple of times when like Spacey was rattling off his insults to Buddy or to Guy, and I was like, I, some <laughs> of this feels forced. Like you get that sense of like he's like the character of Buddy is acting. Like he's almost reading a script or reciting things that he's yeah. said numerous like he, times. Like I understand that he's at this point where he's you know I don't know. There was a couple of times when he was he was getting ready to start like his dialogue or his monologue uh, to mm-hmm. guy, and like I felt like he was like, okay, now I got to be that guy again because my boss was that guy, and that my boss's boss was that guy. Now I have to be that guy, so. I have to step into character to do this. Like, there was a couple of times where I was like, "Ah, he's kind of changing. Like, I know he's supposed to be a prick. I get that. But there was a couple of times where it's like, man, it's like he's really searching for these words that end up being, like, super rehearsed. You know what I mean? Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. I I think for the character guy, we're supposed to like him because you're like, oh, he could shit on so much. Um, we all have had a boss we'd want to torture, maybe, or have thought about it, but didn't go through it. Now we get, we get to see it, and it kind of backfires in his face. But because he's such a pussy and his motives for working the job, I'm just like, dude, you are just as much at fault for going along with this. Yeah. Now, do you think that's a fault of the character, like the written character, or that the way Frank Whaley's playing him? Like, if we had a, a slightly stronger, because I think a lot of the scenes where Frank Whaley is standing toe to toe when in the present time, when it's him trying to stand up to Kevin Spacey, like Kevin Spacey obviously just dominates over the whole scene, and Frank Whaley just can't battle with that. So, if it was maybe a little bit more uh, of a stronger actor against Kevin Spacey, do you think the movie would? be a little bit better so it's funny you say christian slater because i kind of would now be interested to see what christian slater would have been like in 94 as guy maybe it's just because um similarities i see with looks i um john cusack maybe but maybe he's too apathetic mm-hmm. I, I don't i don't know i i feel like there are some themes that are explored throughout this trip that we're supposed to see with the character that aren't as pushed as they need to be I think the one actor that I thought might do well is Ethan Hawke. Oh, I, think I can't can, stand him. You can't. <laughs> no. I think he can play. I think he can play both sides. Um, just because, like in Dead Poet Society, he kind of plays that character where he's this insecure person at the beginning, and then he stands up for Mr. Right. King at the end. So I, I, could, I think I could see him playing to where he could be a lot. I think he could be better than Frank Whaley as far as like standing to with, the, di- with the dialogue that they have that he already has. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah, I don't think to me. I mean, being personally, I don't think the writing is is bad as for that character. It's just the casting for that character. What do you think, Eric? I don't know. Um, I just it's hard because there's nothing about that character that you're just like you don't you're not champion to see him win at the end. No, you're not. No, and well, part of me, like after a while, I was like, why does guy keep making these dumb fucking decisions? Like, why does he keep forgetting simple shit? Like. I know Buddy's an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm serious. I'm serious. It's like it's you're like, blaming the victim. Why was that girl dressed like that? No, no. I don't know, mean it like that. But it's like he's worked, he doesn't kidnap him and start torturing him. 
until what after a year of him working yeah. underneath of him. So if yes. he's working forty hours a week, which you know he's not, he's probably oh, working, he's working like 50 ninety, or sixty. Yeah, yeah. And then you I mean, multiply he's on call that twenty four seven. Yeah. So I mean, it's like you would think after six months he would start to get the routine. You know what I yeah. mean? I don't and know. they kind of they kind of show that. I mean, there's the one scene where it's, I think it's I don't know if it's a month. The title card comes up says or it might be longer than that. But anyway, it's like him sitting in Buddy's chair, and you're kind of led to believe that oh, he's kind of a promotion. So he's almost taking on the role of Buddy sitting right, there with so this his, like, his attire's changed, become, his hair's very slick back. You have been yes. telling people you do my job yes. and blah blah yeah. blah. Right. But no, I agree. Yeah, he does make a lot of stupid mistakes. I mean, the very first one. That you you're you're that you see Buddy for the first time, then you realize, oh, he is kind of a dick. Is when he's late for a meeting, he says, "Where's my coffee?" and he brings him coffee, cream and sugar, and he goes, "Sweet and low." And he goes back and he grabs equal, and yeah, then comes who, back. Who and, would of course, do that? I mean, he said what he wanted. It's not like he was like, "I want a sweetener of some sort." I, I'm just saying, like, yeah. I don't know. Like, if I Ricky, if I went to you and I said, "Hey, can you give me a coffee with some sweet and low?" Are you going to fucking grab equal? No, I'll put it in there and tell you that I put sweet and low in there. But there you go. There you go. Um, but for one, I mean, it's a great. That is such a good scene to set up. Oh yeah. How yes. big of a d bag uh, Buddy Ackerman is, but you see his choices were equal or sugar, at least the way they show the scene. And so, if all they had is equal, you come back and say, "I apologize." There was no sweet and low, but I brought you some equal. Would you like that or regular sugar? Like you know, that w- no, no, you wouldn't even be able to get that first. You, you would say, that out, "I'm right. sorry," right. and eventually he would be like, "Don't, don't apologize." Like you figure out a yeah. way to get sweet and low. If right. you have to go make it, you make it. Like that, I mean, that yeah, that's the type of buddy his character is. Is that he doesn't understand that you can't have this. I wonder how they do. Um, I, I had always thought one of my original draws to this movie was that it felt like a stage play. Um, yeah, I wonder how they set it up. If they start adapted it to the, the stage, yeah, for the flashbacks and stuff. If they go back and forth, if they, I wonder what device they use, or if they tell it in a linear, linear fashion with maybe a voiceover, like a character come out and, coming out on stage and like setting it up or something. Yeah, I don't know. I wonder, like, if maybe they split the stage down the middle and then presence on one side and the flashbacks right. on the other, or if they even do the, I mean, maybe they do it in linear form. Yeah, Which brings up another. Do you guys like the fact that it's shot in flashback form, or do you like it more if it was in linear, where we started day one? Uh, it didn't really bother me. It didn't. No. I, I mean, mean I, I like the I, I I like the way that it was flashback. I think it helped because if you noticed, like how each the flashback and the present keep progressing, like the insults would keep building and building and building in the flashback, and then when we go back to the present, he was more and more beat up. So it, they kind of went hand in hand together. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, I thought it was fine. I thought the movie uh, had a very nice flow to it. Um, it was, you know, the pacing was nice. I didn't feel bored at any point, you know, like, I didn't feel like there were slow spots or anything like that. Like, but I was essentially just waiting for, I was like, okay, you know, when's Buddy going to call or what's Buddy going to do something crazy and guy's going to push out like a little pussy? <laughs> when's Buddy going to call? What is he going to do this week? Oh, you know what? I mean, that's kind of what it was. It was, it was kind of a paint by numbers. Like, okay, here are your characters. Okay. Right. Um, this is day one. This is the next thing. This is the next thing. This is how he reacts. This is the next thing. This is how he re- you know what I mean? It's a very, it's a very linear 
um, I didn't see any like character development. You know what I mean? There was like yeah, well, yeah. forced character development in the uh, expository way that we find out who Buddy was, and like the, again, it was all exposition because then when Kevin Spacey's character Buddy talks about um, who Don Lockhart was, how she fucked her, how she screwed her way to the top, and you kind of get painted like said in exposition her story of Rise and you get it because you've heard that story before or it's a little bit more familiar. Well, yeah, there's there's not any real character development in lieu of like scene. Well, even that, it's like, how can you believe him? How can right. you believe anything that he says? Like, he's not afraid to die, you know, because he thinks that he has, you know, the control over Guy and he's just got to get him back in line. He knows for a fact that Guy will never kill him because guy's a pussy like but i mean like when he's <laughs> he well, gets, when he's talking he about for telling him yeah like but when he's talking about how don made her way to the top or what happened to his ex-wife he's lied to him this entire fucking movie how are we supposed to believe anything that he says i you believe that his wife died that way no i think it's all horseshit. oh really i don't even think he was married he doesn't have any photo i mean guy mentions that he's uh, like you don't I even mean, have any photos of her in the house because he doesn't does want that. to be remembered how really it's your wife, yeah, because man. it's it's. I, I get that. The thing what he remembers well, her with are those wind-up to toys that he has. It's a little hard the to wind- pull tail when you've got a bunch of <coughs> shrine to your dead wife in your living room. No, yeah, he brings a woman over ever. at midnight every single night. So yeah, he, it's probably a little bit more of like yeah. he doesn't want to. He wants to remember her, but he doesn't want to have to like be reminded of how she died every time. Like maybe that, that's what the. But then also, again, like he brings a woman over, it seems like midnight at every night is when he has yeah, somebody come over. Right. And he doesn't want to feel guilty about it. No, I mean, I, mean, I believe the story. Conversation where they're like, and I got it. It's this girl in the picture. Right. My dead wife. Let's have sex. Here, look at this wind up toy. Here, I don't know. Like, I just. Tell you, let me tell you what, how she died. No, I mean, I, I don't see any reason why he would write that to be. Like, what does he have to gain? By lying to Guy right then and there. He just wants to get his sympathy that he'll let him go. He's much more powerful than that. He can Maybe He's controlling was, the situation even though he's the one tied up and being tortured. Well, I mean it could be as simple as something like because he like he keeps asking about her. You know, like he asks about her between like two flashbacks. So maybe right. it was just he gave him he he thought to himself, Okay, I'm gonna give you this very heart wrenching story so that you move on to something else. So we can get to the real point and get this over with. You know what I mean? I don't know. Like, I just didn't believe it. Like, I, I thought it was bullshit when he was telling me, when he was telling the story. I was like, this is horseshit. I don't fucking believe this guy. Why should I? What part of me would even want me to think that, like, this guy happened to have a heart at one point? And even if he did, who gives a shit? This guy's an asshole. My question <laughs> is, how did he come up with the out? How did Buddy Ackerman come up with the, when he was, the lines in which he's saying to Frank Whaley's character, um, who we're, we're supposed to believe they get on the same page and it's a fake out because you think he's goading Guy to shoot him that then we find out he has shot and killed Don. How did right. he even come up with that as the out? Um, who, Buddy or? Buddy. Well, yeah, Buddy, because, I mean, you're supposed to believe, like I said, I know it's a fake out, but that Buddy is basically cryptically telling him, you know what you have to do here to get right. ahead. Killing me isn't going to further anything. So we got to come up with an alternate route. Shoot, shoot, shoot. And he's not saying shoot me. Somehow they have syncopated their thoughts 
Like, I would love to see him shoot Don, and Buddy's just be like, what the hell? That's not what I was talking about at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. My thing I mean, is, is, like, what what did Buddy have over Guy, like, or Guy have over Buddy, that Buddy wouldn't just be like, he kills Don, and then why wouldn't Buddy just turn Guy into the police? Why would he promote him? Because he's his puppet make now. Him, he has him. He has 100% control over him now. Yeah, that's true. You know, I mean, because you're led to believe that she, he takes Don's position, right, as producer on the lot, right. producer on at Keystone. Yeah. That's that's my guess. Yeah, but, I, mean, I mean, he's promoted whether whether whatever it is, but he's promoted. And I mean, Buddy's still ahead of him. It's not like he got Buddy's job and Buddy moved up. But yeah, yeah, well, that's I think, good. I yeah. think Buddy did move up. Oh, you I think? think? Yeah, I think Buddy got Stella's position. Um, I know they don't show anything to support that. So I, I guess that's just me just guessing. But I don't know. I kind of. I think if that was the case, it would be guy would be in Buddy's office and Buddy would have come in there. Yeah, I think they should have done that just to make it like we just replaced. Yeah, and he. No, but but I I think he just took took um, Don's position. Do you think they're still trying to do a weird fake out of something by having guy in a different office? Because I kind of feel like they should have put him in in Buddy's office, and we would have recognized and went, "Oh, that's." That's Buddy's office. He's got Buddy's job now. But maybe it's not as powerful and you're showing your hand when Buddy comes walking by the door then. Oh, uh, yeah. That would have been kind of cool. Because uh, then it would have been he walking out of the house and the next scene is him sitting in Buddy's chair. You're thinking then, oh, shit, he actually killed Buddy. And then, yeah, Buddy pops his head in. Yeah, you don't know what's going on. But then there's this weird voiceover and Jerry Levine who plays Jack who is one of his friends in one other scene at the beginning of a fucking movie, strolls in. Yeah, I didn't I didn't care for the opening, the very, very opening, where he's sitting like around with movie. his... Yeah, he's like, he's sitting around. You can see that he's, he's uh, like, seasoned. He's, he's worn out, worn down, and he's sitting with three other, like, wannabe executives, and he's just telling a story. I, I just didn't see any point to that. It should have almost just started with like him on the phone call or him just starting out by breaking into Buddy's house, maybe. Well, something that's not explained well, um, and maybe it was cut, is did you guys pick up on that they're interns for a year? Right. And then they yeah. get placed somewhere else or they have to find other employment. So all a guy is is an intern. Buddy only gets people to work for him for a year. And then they switch interns. And all those guys are getting ready to start their year as interns that he's out to dinner with. Oh, okay. No, I mean, no, I didn't catch that. And so... Because I I got the impression that when his buddy comes in to his office at the end of the film, that was also at the beginning, at the table, that now that guy is Buddy's assistant. Oh, no, that's not... They're going to a meeting... um, at the end there, they're not going to Buddy's office, I don't think. Hmm. There's that Buddy's office. I don't remember. Yeah, I think, I think the character Jack says something about when his year is up, being an intern, maybe you could put in a good word for me. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah. So I don't know whose assistant he, Jack, has become from the beginning of the movie, but that does bring up, you were saying you didn't care for the opening. I think there are two scenes that are um, 
reminiscent and slash ripped off from other indie 90, early indie 90 movies. That opening scene very much feels like Reservoir Dogs um, breakfast Just because they're sitting at a table. table eating? Well, I got more. It felt like okay. Swingers, John Favreau movie. Just that scene, just it felt like Swingers. And then the other scene was, to mention Reservoir Dogs again, the torture scene with him tied up to the chair in the paper cut and, like, throwing salt and sauce in the face. Oh, where he has the cop. Yeah. Yeah, and Reservoir Dogs had just come out two years before and was a huge hit. He could. I mean, Uh, um, it's possible. I wouldn't fault him, man. Reservoir Dogs is a great movie. Yeah, I mean, why not borrow? (laughs) borrow Frank Whaley wanted to be in Reservoir Dogs, and they got Pulp Fiction. Yeah. Just saying. Just saying. Hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I just, there wasn't a whole lot here for the for me in this movie, like I I enjoyed it while I watched it. I, for the most part, I enjoyed Kevin Spacey's character, mainly because he had so much hair. <laughs> <on my shoulders>. <laughs> <laughs> Even uh, though he had that great line about the Rogaine, and yeah, yeah. where he's like, "You're not losing your hair," and I'm like, "What? What Kevin not Spacey yet. are you looking at?" Yeah, really. Um, like fucking Kevin Spacey was wearing a wig in the movie Hear No Evil, See No Evil with Gene Wilder and Richard Pryor. And hmm. totally a hairpiece. I don't know. There just wasn't there just wasn't a lot here for me. Well that's sad. You think you'll ever watch it again? Uh, it'll be one of those movies that if I happen to see it and there's nothing else on, I will watch it and enjoy watching it, but I'm not gonna seek it out or recommend it to anybody. I don't think I've ever seen this movie on T V. No, I've never. You actually were the first person to show this to me. Um, we were in your basement back in Alexandria, Kentucky, and there was like a VHS copy that was your sister's or somebody's. And you were like, oh, you've never seen this? we got to watch it. And then I think years later I got you your DVD copy. Oh, yeah. Huh. At Myers in Cold Springs. What was your, uh, what was your address again, Ricky? <laughs> um, to my house. My house address was 3766, Bridgewood Court. Give everybody your address. That's not where I live anymore. Hell, my family doesn't live there anymore. Well, maybe yeah, somebody's family, somebody does, family live does live there. <laughs> Jesus. You could just say in my, you don't have to be like, anyhow. In Alaska. We only have like five listeners, so it'll be easy to figure out who did it. Hey. 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 We got more than five. Okay. <laughs> five and a half. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but this movie just didn't do anything for me. I like. I kind of wish that there was more. I was hoping for more, but man, there's just nothing here. Did you guys? Is it the casting um, that that hurt it for you, or was it the writing? I thought um, the story was good. I thought the story was very relatable. I think everybody, like we mentioned earlier, had a boss or somebody that got under their skin, or, oh, or yeah. you could never do right, no matter how hard you tried. I don't think torturing would be. What any one of us, I mean, maybe it depends on the person, but yeah, I don't think I have anybody that I'd want to sit there and make open wounds and throw hot sauce on them. Yeah, no. Um, but, definitely, uh, definitely not. Or, or stick a hot french fry in their ear. Ricky, Ricky. <laughs> uh, we no. All hit, we all hit that block. No. Um, I think it is relatable on the outside for what you just mentioned, but I think once you get into the movie, it's incredibly unrelatable because of all the things we've mentioned. Yeah. yeah. Like, I don't yeah, know. I mean, like, I, th- I think if they're, I don't know what I'm looking for. You know what I mean? Like it, it, this watching this movie reminds me of the one type of movie that I just can't stand. 
and that's the movie of oh the main character everybody's against him he keeps fouling up nobody likes him and then two minutes before the movie's over oh we we like you now like fucking like meet the fucker or not meet the parents or anger management like i fucking hate those movies where like the the main character just gets absolutely berated the entire movie then the last 10 minutes everybody's like oh we, we we get what you're coming from now and it's like no fuck him fuck you guys like, come on, man. I think what they're trying to show, though, is it never gets better in Hollywood. No, right. yeah. no matter what you, no matter what you do. You're someone's dick. Right. I mean, even Buddy was. He, he, Cyrus above, was above him. And I'm sure Cyrus is, like, I guess the president of Keystone or whatever. Um, but even I'm sure Cyrus is not content with where he is. Or there's always somewhere to go up, and you always have to step on the smaller guy to get there. Right. No, you're right. I mean, um, that. I mean, I mean, this whole film, like you mentioned before, like I was entertained through the whole thing. I can't really think of any part. Like a lot of the films that we've reviewed, there's always it always seems like there's something that we could cut out maybe to make it a little bit of a tighter story. But this one, I don't think there's really anything that I would cut out. Um, there are things as... I would change. Yeah, maybe change. Photography wise and the God, the core 90s movie, um, yeah. 90s music. <laughs> oh my god it's, it's, I, think I think it was both, just like instrumental like synthesizer or something wasn't it in the first uh, in one scene the music and the cinematography the things I dislike about both of them came together in one scene and that was when they were at I guess it was his apartment and the sun was going down and Guy and Don were on the couch oh uh, yeah he had to go back to the office to get that number for Buddy yeah, the music oh. was bad. The lighting was awful. Like it looked '90s. It's just straight up '90s. Party of Five '90s. <laughs> I mean, it might have been because this film was shot in 18 days, so I'm sure a lot of it was rushed to where they didn't oh, have the. And the budget oh, was only sure. 700,000. So right. I mean, I think for the amount of time they shot it in and the and the budget, it it turned out really. If you notice, like in the office, like nobody has a window, no. so that's clearly like either on a sound stage somewhere or like in an office building. And they just probably, if there were windows, they covered them up so mm-hmm. they could shoot at all hours of the day. I heard Cause you would Kevin know that Spacey, somebody like buddy Ackerman wouldn't have a window in his office. Right. I heard that Kevin Spacey charges $700,000 now just for his left hand to act in a movie. What's, what's he getting for his right hand? Oh man. Shoot. You don't want to know. You don't even want to. Yeah. I mean, he's a hell of an actor, man. He's had, he has a hell of a career behind him. Um, I mean, shit, he can practically do whatever the hell he wants. And that's great. But, like, I don't know. There's just something about this movie that I either feel that he was using this as a stepping stone to do other things, and he just picked the role because it was, like, this very abrasive, um, over-the-top kind of character, and he was like, this will help, you know, uh, further my ability, maybe. Um, I'm sure. I mean, why Why would any actor pick any role? It's just to try to from, further their career. If you look back on his filmography, this is um, a big moment in his career where you see a different side of him. Like I said, he had done really big parts in, like, Hear No Evil, See No Evil. And then one of his big movies was Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, where his character is very timid, especially amongst the likes of Jack Lemmon, Alec Baldwin, and Al Pacino, where in this, 
he gets to play that big, like you said, abrasive character and loud. And then after this, it was kind of like, what can Kevin Spacey not play? I think right. there are a lot of, um, I think there are a lot of stepping stones of Frank Underwood from House of Cards. In oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, I agree. And I don't know, like, and, and I, and I understand, like, Nick, what you're saying, like, who wouldn't want to do a film that would further his career? But I mean, I mean, Guy takes such a back seat to this entire movie. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, I mean, this is Kevin Spacey's film. There's no question about that. Well, then they should have changed it. Like, it should have been, he should have been the main character and not this just vagina guy. (laughs) Like, I don't know why. Well, I think that that was the thing that really, the thing that I thought that really hurt the film and that as we get later on the ratings, but is, is the casting of Frank Whaley. It's just that you had this, even at the time, Kevin Spacey wasn't a huge, he wasn't a huge, huge actor. Kevin Spacey. I mean, he he like you said before, he just did bit par- bit parts. It's pretty much after this film is when his career really started taking off. He did Seven and then Usual Suspects. Um, but I think if they just got a, a little bit of a stronger guy actor, right. Frank Whaley, that it wouldn't. I, I think you would enjoy the film more. It wouldn't be so lopsided. It wouldn't be so Kevin Spacey show. But I agree with you. The way it is written now, or the way it was acted now, yes, Buddy is the main character. There's, there was times when I was watching it. I just, I was watching like when it's just like Frank Whaley and Michelle Forbes, like when they were on the couch. Like I was just waiting. Like you said, you're just waiting for Buddy to chime (laughs) in. You wanted to, you wanted that to happen. Right. Like you didn't want to watch ten minutes of a scene without Buddy in it. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like um, uh, to me. It felt like Nightmare on Elm Street or Friday the 13th or a horror movie where you know the people, you know the teenagers are dispensable, so you start rooting to see the villain. It had been like if Star Wars, if Han Solo, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and Luke Skywalker suck, you'd be like, all right, bring back Darth Vader. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that's that's a good point. I mean, it's all of that. That brings up the point of you have to have. You can't just make a movie with a strong lead. You have to have a good supporting cast. Yeah, they were lucky Otherwise, to get Kevin Spacey though. I think. Dude. I think from what I read, like he kind of did this. I don't think he got paid a whole lot, obviously, because it was a, such a low budget film. Like he did this almost as like a favor and it went away. Right. Like he got paid, obviously, but it wasn't by any means. Spacey got to get paid, yo. Yeah. He got to pay for that two pay, two pay pay. Yeah, and I think I, it's just because he he read the character and he really enjoyed it. I'm sure. I mean, that I think any that's a fun character to play is that type of character yeah. to play the bad guy. Yeah, that's the. And I I wanted to like the movie, like I really did. I really liked yeah. Kevin Spacey, and it's got that '90s. You know, it's got that what we all got into in the '90s. You know, Tarantino, Kevin Smith, Robert Rodriguez, John Favreau. It's got that indie 90s feel, and it's got some of that dialogue where you're like, okay, I want to like this as much as I like these other movies. Yeah. But ultimately, Frank Whaley's whininess as guy, it's just like, ugh. Yep. I agree. I agree. Right. Well, you want to go on to rate it? No, we got to say lines, right? Oh, we got to do lines? Oh, uh, yeah. I don't know how this show works. <laughs> I don't think you're funny. I don't have this show, Wix. It's the greatest Russian accent I've ever heard in my life. I know, right? It's really good. Um, Eric. Do me last. All right. Oh, yeah, I like it. Do me, do me. Okay, I'll go first. 
Uh, I'll be surprised if we all don't pick a quote from Buddy. Kevin Spacey. But, yeah, exactly. Like, unless Eric just picks Frank Whaley to just prove that he's a whiny little bitch. But yeah. I'm just going to pick a noise for Frank Whaley. <laughs> but uh, my line, which is from Kevin Spacey, who plays Buddy Ackerman, is when he one of the many ratings that he gives Guy is he tells him that my bath mat means more to me than you. <laughs> so, uh, my favorite line is Kevin Spacey's Buddy Ackerman <laughs> is when he's uh, standing outside his cubicle and his actress thrown something at him or something, and he goes, "You're happy. I hate that." Yeah. <laughs> okay, so mine isn't from Buddy. Um, so I got two of them because, like, one of them is just like, "Wow, that's a pretty good piece of advice." And the other one's just funny. So the one that I thought was a pretty good piece of advice is from Dawn. She says uh, when they're at the first time that they get together and they're having a drink together, uh, mm-hmm. she says, uh, don't apologize. It's a sign of weak. Yeah. And, like, which is funny because I think she says it, like, two or three times in the movie. And it's like, fucking listen, dude. Like, like <laughs> Well, and if you find out, Buddy is the one that told her that all the time. Right. So uh, the other one is, Don asked Guy, how about lunch? Guy says, well, I'm not allowed to take lunch. But he doesn't believe in it. (laughs) (laughs) Such a dick. Which I was like, what the hell does anybody doesn't believe in lunch? Well, that's a great comedic scene of when he's like, where are you going? And he's like, I gotta gotta pee. I gotta use the restroom. And he's like, sit. And he just starts pouring the water. And he's like, oh, you know, that's too much. And pours the back yeah. head. Yeah. That was so good. Good times. Oh, good times. Yeah. Just wish it was a better movie. <laughs> that's that's the quote from you on the back of the DVD. Just wish Eric this Hunter, was a better movie. Good times, dot, dot, dot. But I wish it was a better movie. Wish it was a better movie. Uh, <sighs> now, 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 do we do ratings? Now, now, you now we can do ratings. when you say it. Say it like a man. Listen now and learn. Now we do ratings. Now we do ratings. Oh, you think Rit- you're ratings? <sighs> it's the best French accent I've ever heard in my life. Baguette. <laughs> that was the best Australian accent trying to do a French accent I've ever heard in my life. Uh, Ricky, how do you rate this? How do I read this? This is a movie before going into it, I thought I liked a lot more. Um, I do own it on DVD. I have seen it numerous times. I don't know if I was a little bit more critical because we criticize it on this show. I have to give this, because um, this time I did realize <laughs> I don't like any of these characters. I like Buddy the most, and man, he's the last person who should like. Um, I have to give it two and a half reels. Ouch. Damn. Uh, I give it, and the reason I give it this rating is just because I I really enjoy this movie, and I've seen it several times. Um, I, too, own it on DVD. Um, And watching it again, it's it's still very good. The the reason the rating I give it is just the casting and what we brought up with Frank Whaley. I thought he's the one that kind of hurt the film, and he's the reason why we all enjoy Kevin Spacey's acting i think it was just kevin spacey was acting he didn't have any supporting actors with him in this film so he's a great actor on his own but he was pretty much on his own for this whole film 
Right. Um, so the rating I give it is three and a half reels. Boom. Yeah, that seems Boom. Well. I mean, that's fair, I think. Yeah. I mean, from your, I mean, from where you're coming from, you know. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, that's that's probably the rating I would have given it if we wouldn't have watched it and you just would have said, hey, what, how many reels would you give it? I would have yeah. probably given it three and a half. But yeah, it's, oh my God, just even the guy who plays Foster Kane, T.E. Russell, <laughs> just not to throw actors who probably aren't in a lot of... I mean, he's movies. barely... He, I don't even know if he has any lines, does he? He's got a few lines. Oh yeah, he does. Even, At even the very then, beginning, he has a few like lines. A costume. And like, he's right, wearing yeah. this kind of ridiculous doesn't look like you should be wearing clothes a leather jacket like the torn rock shirt and torn jeans right i mean going back on what you said like if you would have just walked up to me before watching this film again i probably would have given it like four or five just because with this podcast i think i mean me personally but i like i watch these movies different now differently than how i would if i was just sitting down to enjoy them like i'm studying them yeah, now, you turn so. off. I mean, sometimes you put in a movie like this and you turn off your brain a little. Exactly. Bit. Yeah. Right. I mean, I do that with the non-pick of the week. So I do that with all the other films. I just watch to watch because they're entertaining, and that's why you, you watch a movie. Um, I don't. I don't know if he was supposed to be acting this way, or um, we just mentioned him once. Or I know he's not that good of an actor. Is Benicio del Toro came off extremely effeminate at the beginning of this movie? Just me. I think he kind of. I think he's kind of that way in every film. It's just the way he moves. Yeah, I think yeah. it's. I think this is part of his personality that he he kind of. I don't know. He's got a very. He's got a certain flair about him. You know what I mean? He does. And I think yes. it does. Sometimes it does come off like it's a little effeminate, but um, I don't think it's anything different than anything else that I've seen him do. You know what I mean? Do you yeah. think he could have played the guy part? No, because uh, no. he's not a pussy man. Fucking. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, because even just looking at the knees of those horror, he looks like he's going to smack you. Yeah. That's true, yeah. I am intimidate, intimidated by him. Which is, I mean, uh, you mentioned Christian Slater. Again, I go back to that and I think, huh, that would been interesting. If this movie was a bigger budget movie and you were really picking for someone, um, I would think Tom Cruise, with his stature being a little smaller, I would love to see him turn that switch at the end of just fucking going nuts on Buddy. Like, oh, yeah, or like Edward Norton. Oh, that's a good pick. <laughs> yeah. Primal Fear. That's another 90s movie with Richard Gere. We want to see Ed Norton at his finest. Primal Fear. He plays a couple different emotions in that movie. And, yeah, you nailed it. That's the one. Yeah, that, yeah he would definitely be good. He can play the wimpy side, and he can play the... Yeah. Intimidating sign. Yeah, that's a good pick. All right, let's redo it. <laughs> well, you have to hear your rating, Hunter. I'm sorry, I interrupted you. Oh no, you're fine. I'm going to give it a two, two, two real. I just, I think this, I, I think as somebody who takes in all kinds of media 24 seven, I feel like this would be a better book than a movie because I could, uh, it would allow my brain and my imagination to build in to Guy's character of what he's lacking and to imagine Dawn as a halfway attractive woman, which is clearly <laughs> not in this movie. Whoa. Dude, she's she's kind of nasty balls. <laughs> you watch nasty Battlestar, balls. right? You watch Battlestar Galactica? 
Did yeah. you watch the whole series? Okay. She is the captain. Um, and, yeah, and uh, that other ship. And yeah. I was watching this. I this is the I first time I realized that. You know, it's been years since I've seen Battlestar, and I've seen this movie in between that time. And I was like, oh my god, she's a captain from Battlestar. How in the hell did she look so much better like 14 years later? Right, right. Like she did. Uh, she was in an entire season of True Blood where she played, like, this witch that could, like, transform into demons and shit. She was, was fucking she really? smoking hot. But she was, like, 50-something. Yeah, she's got, like, smoker's teeth in this. She is not filmed well. You are correct. Yeah. But does she look less attractive because Frank Whaley is such a weenie? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, man. She looked kind of mannish next to the pussy. Yeah, he looks more like a lady. There's no subtext with him, right? I'm like, how is this big, strong-willed woman? She's totally the man in that relationship. Oh, yeah. She's pegging that hard. Yes. See, that I would watch. I would give that five reels. (laughs) Just to see see her beat (laughs) the shit out of Guy? Yeah, sure, man. Why not? Kevin Spacey in the back yelling about how good he's not taking that dick. Like, come on. Listen and learn. Oh, my God. Wow. Took a left turn. You look happy. I hate that. More dick. More dick. More dick? You want more? More dick, you say? I'd be saying. <laughs> wow, it's going back Japanese and listening to this, that joke is going to be so dead. Oh. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but we're laughing. You don't hear anybody else. Sure. Okay, so it, the question of does this movie hold up, though? Um, I mean, visually, it's very dated. It's very nineties. Um, story wise, no. I think this is this. The story itself will go on just forever. I mean, there's always going to be somebody that is a a dick, and you want to get revenge on. There will (laughs) always be a dick. Horrible. No, I agree. Like, I think, I think, you know, if you take out this movie would not be that hard to remake. And I don't, what I mean by that is like, not just because the story is simple and the characters are very flat. And what I mean is that you can keep the exact same story, the exact same dialogue, and then just throw in a couple of words of, you know, special effects and graphics. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you just cut the dialogue up in the movie. That's going like, like to be your fan edit. It's just yeah. you chiming in saying, Look at, all, date terms. look at all this CGI. Like, that's, you know, you, you take the, the car phone out, you put a cell phone in. Like, I think this, I don't think this movie, other than, like, what Nick had mentioned about, you know, the way it was filmed and that kind of style, like, that's kind of dated because it's, like, movies are so fast-paced now that when you watch a movie that feels like it's moving slow on purpose, it's kind of weird. You know what I mean? Well, yeah, this generation needs explosions every, like, five minutes. So this they is mention a... that in the movie, that Buddy Ackerman movies are just chock full of explosions, and it made me think, is yeah. Buddy Ackerman Michael Bay in this movie? Well, that's, I mean, that could be the... I know the, the movie was originally... Buddy Ackerman is supposed to actually portray somebody. I can't remember what his name is. Well, I think... It, uh, yeah, there was, like, two or three different people, but on the one, it was... George Huang, the like he's kind of playing the guy character. That's how he was. I mean, he came up through the 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 agencies and the production studios that way, like right. starting out as an assistant. So he was saying more of that it was a just 
uh, hodgepodge of all these bosses. Okay. So I don't think it's necessarily like this is this exact guy I'm portraying him after. It's more right, just like a little bit from this guy. A little Michael bit. Bay, but I'm just, oh, no, 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 no. Bay, no. But that would be an easy transition. To work with. Yeah. Like, I mean, just when they said that about all your movies had these explosions and stuff, I was like, oh, my God, Michael Bay. And then what I just thought of while you're talking, Hunter, was Kevin Spacey basically spoofs himself or his character in this in the movie's horrible bosses. Yeah. Hell yeah. That's very true. I don't know. Very I, I, true. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of dated. But I don't think it's as bad as some of the movies we've seen so far. Yeah, I think <laughs> you're correct. The story, um, I mean, this translates. You can put it in any decade. Uh, I think you could do it up even more if you wanted to put this in the 80s, which it wasn't too far removed from, with greed. Um because uh, Kevin Spacey character is a little bit like Gordon Gecko from Wall Street. Um, yeah, I think this could be easily remade. Well, there now, you go. Now that we're on just... to recommend or strongly not recommend uh, what we've watched recently. Hunter? I haven't really watched anything. I've been watching a lot of TV. So what still, you watch? I'm still going through the Batman animated series. Nice. Which is, a, which is amazing. Have like, you seen man. Have you hit any episodes that you're strongly pulled to? You're like, man, that was a great episode. Oh, yeah. The whole, um, you know, the, the raising and teaching of uh, Robin. That two-part series was always great. Um, there's a couple of episodes that I'm really looking forward to. Uh, most of them are like the Riddler. Because yeah. he's always been one of my favorite villains of all time just because I think it's, that, you know, the power of the mind over Braun and some of the shit that he it puts together for Batman in that show. Is, it's, it's pretty amazing stuff. Well, and um, as we discussed, the box sets are not in chronological order from when they're released. They're kind of all over the place. But right. as my memory uh, serves, the Riddler did not appear in the first couple seasons. Right, yeah, so I just... I'm about halfway through what this is considered of as season two. Okay. So, whatever that means. But, um, no, I'm, I'm excited because it's like, I've seen every episode, you know. I know exactly what's going on. And, but there's still a couple of things where I'm just like, oh, I, I never noticed that. And it's mainly because, I mean, shit, when I watched these cartoons, I was a kid. I mean, we were kids, you know. Going back and I mean it's literally it has literally been at least um, sixteen years since Jeez. I've seen these cartoons. Yeah, and I read I read it um at a, the local library at um in Florence, and that was, it was a I know for myself it was a great time watching, uh, especially some of the earlier first season episodes of the Danny Elfman music. Yeah, and I was like I remember when I was a kid thinking. Oh, I'm watching something adult here. This is a cartoon, but this I this just doesn't feel like it's pandering as a kid's cartoon, right? So I mean, it was it's it's interesting because like I'm watching them now, you know, and usually the wife is there and she doesn't really pay attention. But then like there'll be parts where I'm like I, I'll get super excited because I'll be like, hell oh, yeah, dude, Batman's like, what are you saying? <laughs> what? And, uh, like, I'll get, you know, really excited because I'll be like, oh, I know what's coming up. 
You know, I, I get to experience, oh my gosh, like one of my favorite episodes of all time is, uh, shit, I knew I was going to forget it. Oh, no, jeez. I know, right? It's a typical Eric. Can I um, what typical it is? Eric. Yes. Okay, I think, is it the episode where it's the kids telling the stories of their interactions with Batman? And how no, no. Him? I mean, that's a good episode, but no. Because um, they later did that as Gotham Knight as a, um, a direct DVD movie. Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's the same setup. Uh, no, the one with, um, ah, Balls, what's his name? Something Gray, or Gray's a... Um, Solomon Grundy? Um, no, where they got... Um, Adam West to, to do the voice. Huh. And it's... Oh, seriously? Is it, a villain? is it a villain? No, no. He's it's, It was Bruce Wayne's comic book hero, the, the Grey Ghost. That's what oh, it okay. is. Oh, so um, it's like um, Space Ghost. What? No. No, but I'm saying it's like that. It's the look or whatever. No. No, it's not. Are you kidding me? I, I gotta see this. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't remember that episode at all. The Great Ghost um, was a, I mean, it was kind of like the, uh, uh, I mean, it started as like a, like a radio drama, a, de- a detective drama that Bruce Wayne and me and it, uh, listened to when he was a kid. Then he grew up in him with the cartoon, or the show, rather, of The Great Ghost. And he was like a detective. He was a crime fighter. He was a superhero. So anyway, that was like... His, oh, I see. He looked yeah. kind of like the shadow with the cape, uh, hat, and goggles. Yeah, so like well, the whole episode is about one of the old villains from the Grey Ghost show starts popping up in Gotham. So Batman goes and meets the actor who plays the Grey Ghost, and they get Adam West to do the voice for this nice. guy. And they both suit up and attack who this, you know, who th- this new villain that just kind of popped up out of nowhere. It's great because it's like. It's it was like something I would want to do. You know what I mean? Like if I was, you know, growing well, up watching. You never versus, see, you never see Bruce Wayne kind of like geek out about anything. Or get well, you've never seen you've, you've never seen Batman as the sidekick, and that's exactly what he is in this episode. And it's it's so well written, and like the cinematics are great, and just the whole build, it's awesome. Like you got it. Uh, the episode's called "Beware of the uh, the Gray Ghost." Beware of the Gray Ghost. Is there a twist? At the end, is the Great Ghost actually a villain? Oh, no, no. no. Okay, good, good. Yeah, this guy's fucking, he's like 60 years old. I mean, the country, oh, I'm glad that, uh, I'm, I, I, that's an episode I've never seen before, and I definitely want to try to check that out and see if it's uh, online, or I know Batman the Animated Series used to be for free on Amazon Prime. Yeah, it still is. That's how I'm watching it. Oh, great, great, great. So, yeah, I'll, Is it I'll on Netflix as well? No, it's not on Netflix. It's just on Amazon Prime, and this particular <laughs> episode is Sorry, the Nick. first, whatever. Yeah, I'm not getting Amazon Prime. The first, well, what they consider the first season is one of those episodes. Um, what, just piggyback off of what you're, you watched, um, Allie and my brother and I, we watched the season premiere of Gotham on Fox. This past yeah, how week. terrible was that? Oh, my God, it was so bad. So bad. Huh. You didn't really think it was going to be good, did you? I didn't think it was going to be as blatantly bad as it was because the promotion they're putting out for it was like, oh, it's, it's one of the best pilots we've seen in a long time. We just got to get it out there for people to see. And I'm like, okay, um, they're kind of going off of some. They're trying to make it 
cool and new and exciting. And, you know, Smallville did it in 2001. Um, you're going to throw a bunch of character names and to appease the nerd fans. And you'll be like, oh, I know that's poison ivy. It's like they did too much of that without actually making a good show. Right. Like the whole show, the premise is well before Batman, right? It, it starts this... off at the murder of his parents. Okay, so he's a little kid still. And the only twist they have added, as far as I can see as of now, I'll give it three episodes. If they can't, the third episode of a series is supposed to be the best of the first season. So if by episode three, there's nothing there for me, I'm not going to just keep on watching because it deals with Batman. You hear right. that, Gotham writers? Ricky's giving you three episodes. <laughs> I, mean, I, stopped, I stopped watching Smallville when it started getting ridiculous. Um, but with Gotham, the only thing that's slightly interesting now is we are led to believe that it's going to be a mystery of why Martha and Thomas Wayne were killed. Because the assailant was wearing shiny shoes. Oh, come on. So it clearly wasn't just your average street thug, because why would they be wearing like tuxedo shoes? So right. it, it was a it was a hit. It wasn't just a happenstance. Um, Thomas Wayne doesn't fight back like in any of the incarnations. Um, Falcone, who has only been mentioned in the uh, or at least heavily mentioned in the Christopher Nolan is mentioned and they're like, and I guess all the villains kind of work under him in some way. He did not do the hit, so that's going to be the big mystery for either this season or the series. Um, the acting is atrocious. The lead guy is from the OC, which my brother's like, oh, he's good looking. I'm like, I don't care. I need someone to be good. You can't give me Gary Oldman and then the guy who once was on the OC. Right. So... I do not recommend Gotham, but then again, I know people that are still watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. But what I can recommend is from that, we wanted to get a series where we could all watch, and um, we bought on Amazon Prime Sleepy Hollow, which was a Fox show that premiered a year or two ago. Yeah. And we're two episodes in, and it's pretty, pretty darn good. Pretty creepy, and it's formulaic where it kind of feels like it's going to be like X-Files from week to week. But it's at least interesting. It's way more interesting than Gotham. Hmm. Nicholas? Nicholas? Uh, I mean, I'm kind of with Eric there. I haven't really watched that many movies. Uh, I've been watching uh, Friday Night Lights on Netflix. Yes. That's a really good series. Yeah, um, the only movie is. that I kind of watched recently was From Dust Till Dawn. And I don't okay, think I need to. Let's get back to Friday Night Lights. Friday Night Lights. <laughs> I'm only on, uh, I just started season three, I think. Oh, so you so, got over the hump to season yeah. two. Once you get past that ridiculous season, yeah. they get back to football. Well, yeah, because, I mean, I don't want to spoil it for anybody, but, yeah, there's one main thing in season two that, which I come to find out the, I think it's NBC or whoever it was, but the, the execs told the writers that we need to get some more viewership so we want you to write this into the story and like most times that never works so it doesn't make any sense they it's just in season two and it's never mentioned of again yeah and, i mean it's slightly brought up and for character wise because i mean the character yeah, is so uh, strong in the movie in the show right but for as big as the event was yeah um 
and there was. I think it would have been no. it brought up a lot more, but it it wasn't. Right, but, right. It would have been there's the guy that did that. Um, and right. I'm not one to usually shy back on spoiling things, but <laughs> it's a turd in the second season. Um, I mean, it's not horrible, that, horrible. It's just it's just. I think it spawns a lot of things that I dislike about the second season. The yeah. other one is they literally jump the shark and involve a shark in Jason Street, who is paralyzed from the first season, where right. he get shark blood injected <laughs> into his spine. <laughs> and I was oh, like, was, oh, my God. He was going to do, yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. That's exactly yeah, what season, I would do. Season three, four, and five, <laughs> fantastic. My parents are now watching it. They just got it past season two. They said the exact same thing. And they're like, yeah, we like everybody in it, except for really Lila Garrity. Yeah. Yeah, she's a weird... I don't know. She's yeah, a whore. She, she does well <laughs> for what she's doing, but yeah, she's kind of a bad actress. Well, yeah, it's just every time she comes in to a scene, I'm just, ugh. Like, <laughs> she's just little Miss Prissy perfect. And... Get back to the coach and Tim Riggins. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Get back to the Riggins brothers. Riggins brothers. Yeah, All right, but, uh, so is, is there uh, anything that you've watched that you would like to discourage people from watching? Uh, no, probably because I wiped it from my mind. So there you go. There, you, there you go. Yeah, so I don't have anything. Do you have anything, Ricky? Sounds uh, like you're no, itching to I, say. I oh. mine. When you said Dust Till Dawn," did you mean the movie or the TV series that just started? The movie, no, the movie. Okay. Because yeah. I think the so, TV series uh, is also on Netflix. I never saw it. Neither have I. Never gonna watch it. All right, yeah. Hunter, you're up for the next pick. Oh. Oh. Uh-oh. Did you not bring a movie? No, no, I've got two movies still. Oh, that's right, yeah. So, uh, what were the, uh, what's the uh, circumstances for each one? Okay, so it, the the first one was a movie that we were all going to enjoy. Okay. Um, which was Candyman. Candyman. Um, the second yep. movie is, well, it's up to you guys. It's either a movie that we might like, we might not like. It sounded intriguing when I... Uh, read about it, but I'm still not too sure because I'm not about, you know, I mean, I've got my reserves about it. Uh, and then the third you. movie is going to be fucking terrible. Oh, great. So it's either possibly terrible or definitely terrible. Yes. So, but here's the thing. Great. We're going to watch both movies regardless. It just depends well, right, on yeah. the order what that order you guys want to watch, watch them. them. So do you want to get the terrible shit storm out of the way now? Or do you want to wait another, what, four weeks? I'll vote for the terrible shit storm since we... I thought, I mean, in my opinion, we just did a pretty good movie. So maybe, um, you know. Ouch. Um, I think it's <laughs> either one of them Halloween themed? No. Oh. Are they either well, one of them well, main, well, main, well, considered mainstream? Hold on. No, I take that back. Um, <laughs> one is Halloween. Storm has been referred to in a Halloween-esque themed movie as being a Halloween movie. Ugh, Okay. Because no, that I one out. Should, so, I mean, I guess I go with Nick. Let's do the shitstorm, even though, I mean, we did Candyman and Freddy's Dead in September, but I kind of feel like we should keep on going for October, get some more movies or some Halloween movies. So, I guess shitstorm it is if that has some okay. Halloween theme relations. It does. Okay. Yeah. I'm ready. Oh, God. 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 Um, so for the next Make it episode, quick like a band-aid. So for the next episode, uh, we are going to treat our listeners 
with the hour analysis of the hit classic that is known as Showgirls. Mm-hmm. That's definitely a 90s called classic. 1999. Is that right? No. 99? No, that's not correct. It's got to be like 95. Oh, I'm sorry. It's 95. 95. It is. Now, I typed it in as two words, and I was like, okay, that doesn't even have an IMD page, so it's a really bad. Right. Ooh, I like the cover. I like the box card. Well, it's Elizabeth uh, Berkeley from, yeah, 95, from Saved by the Bell being naked. Yeah, being naked. Oh, yeah. my God, there's Showgirls 2. Well, yeah. Uh, people that's... who like this also like Saved by the Bell. Because <laughs> they wanted to see Elizabeth Berkeley naked. Yeah, right. that's exactly why. So. Yeah. Gina Gershon is very uh, good looking. Um, oh, yeah. I, from what I know, it's it's supposed to have been like a David Lynch kind of movie. And I know when they made it, they were it was a big buzz. Like Elizabeth Berkeley was like, this is where I break from that Saved by the Jesus. Bell. Um, it had a hell of a budget, it. that's for sure. Yeah. $45 million? I think it's considered one of the biggest flops of all time. Now, granted, Superman Returns has much surpassed it. Well, it only made, like, it looked like about $800,000. Oof. Well, I mean... That's <coughs> like, uh, yeah. It is, oh, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> if you remember, if anybody's seen Scream 2, and Ghostface asked Jamie Kennedy's character, Randy what his favorite scary movie is. He says, Showgirls, absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> so there you go. All Eric, right. You're giving us a dirty film. It's NC-17. I can't watch Ooh. it. Um, and, and erotic sexuality throughout. Whoa. To our listeners, um, after we do Showgirls and I make my pick, before we get back into rotation for Nick's pick, we will be Yay. airing Kevin Eastman's interview, uh, co-creator of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and we will hear what his pick is for Real 90s to do and what his real rating of it is. And I must say, I know what it is because I did the interview, and it's a fantastic pick. Yes, it is. I was I was eavesdropping on the interview. I don't remember. I think somebody told me, or I listened to it, I can't recall. I don't think I you've listened to it yet. I can't remember. No, I haven't listened to it yet. <laughs> hey, I put the episode up. Did you? Did you finally update it? Uh, the Dimension B yeah, crossover? It's up. Did you just do it now day. while we were talking? Yeah, I was doing yeah, it while we were yep, yep, it's now up. Fantastic. All right. I think that's all right, it. Well, until next show. <laughs> the Nick pack Prince. of gun drops is amazing. <laughs> what? What is, uh, is that? The image for the, for the crossover episode. Oh, good job, Eric. Did you Did you see Low the brand page? Yeah, yeah, his hands. Yeah. <laughs> Wait. Uh, that's hilarious. Where's the gumballs? Gum drops. Gum drops. Gum drops. Really? I actually had to go back and look to make sure that he <laughs> said that it was a bag, like gumdrops come in bags and not boxes, because I couldn't remember which one it was. Oh, Even though, I mean, cool. yeah, they sell gumdrops in boxes. No, I know, but that's not the line in the movie. So. Yeah, yeah. That's great. Get, that's wow, great. I gave it 15 bags. Nice. I gave it 15 bags. I gave it 17. Kazan's gumdrops. Nice. <laughs> two, uh, two for a dollar. So good. Oh, 15 for two bags. All right, anyway, until next time, I'm Nick Prince. I'm Ricky Glore. And I'm Eric Hunter.
go watch a movie. Well, you think you're funny, huh? Go watch a movie. <laughs> That's a great English accent. <laughs>